in a world that's far from God. Same crew in a world that's far from God. And this is really a story about Daniel, um, the prophet. And uh, I think it's been a really good series so far. We talked about um, prayer the last time we did this series. Now we're in uh, this idea of um, speaking the truth boldly. There is a movie that recently came out in the last couple of years about Winston Churchill. And uh, it's a great, I love, he likes history. I love history. And Churchill was an amazing, amazing figure. On June 4th, and they, the, the movie actually depicts this. Uh, on June 4th, Winston Churchill had been the prime minister for about a month and stood before the House of Commons delivering what he became the best known speech of his life. He declared, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Did you like my delivery? That was pretty good. I could probably do better. One man said, what just happened? And I think someone had made this quote. On, and in the movie, they say it like right after the speech. I think someone wrote this. But they said that when he said, what happened? He said that, that he called to arms the English language and set it to set it to war or something like that basically talking about that speech how that that speech impacted there's a bunch of people who are pacifists that wanted to pacify hitler and then there were people that knew that they needed to go to war and uh and that speech was uh, instrumental in doing that but we tend to forget that this speech was delivered after france had fallen to the nazis and over 300,000 allied soldiers were evacuated from dunkirk Churchill knew that the morale in Britain was at an all-time low and that the population was, ce uh, was celebrating because of the success of the retreat. He had to help the nation remember that they had not experienced victory and that there was still much pain and suffering and discouragement on the horizon. He had the task of delivering truth when truth was not necessarily what the people wanted to hear. Have you ever had to deliver bad news? Have you ever had the unfortunate responsibility of holding up a mirror to somebody and saying, this is what is, I'm not talking about a literal mirror, but in the sense going, hey, this is what's going on in your life. And you have, those, you have those, that phrase that we all have used from time to time, please don't shoot the messenger, right? where you have to speak the truth and you speak it boldly and sometimes that's not what people want to hear. In a similar way, hey, don't get worried. I'm not going to do that to you tonight. But in a similar way, Christians are called to stand for truth, not just in practice, but verbally. We're called to speak. You know, it's one thing people talk about like lifestyle evangelism, and I'm all for lifestyle evangelism. I think your lifestyle should support your evangelism, right? I think that when you say what you say, that um, if people were to examine your life, um, that your, your life should, you know, match what you're trying to say. That being said, none of us do that perfectly, right? All of us mess up in some way. Um, here's a good news. Part of our message is that we're sinners, right? And so... That's part of what we're what we what we teach people. Um, so, 
when people talk about lifestyle evangelism, they, there's this tendency to think that, and there was, it was kind of a, a popular idea at one time, hey, I should just live a certain way, and then if I live a certain way, people will notice that I'm different, and they'll come talk to me and, and ask me about, like, what do you have that I don't have? And I'm sure that's happened at some point, but for the most part, at some po- it's probably rare. Here's what I want you to know. To be faithful and to stay true for God in a world that's far from God, we've got to speak up for God. We've got to talk about the truth. We've got to speak the truth, as Ephesians 4 says, in love. That's what, we're, what, that's what we have to do. This is what witnesses for Jesus do. We testify about who God is and what he said, regardless of how popular that message is. And you know what? Sometimes they do shoot the messenger, right? Tonight, I, wanna, I want us to look at this idea of, of speaking the truth boldly. Would you give me the next slide? It gives us our objective statement. Oh, here's a good question. When have you really appreciated someone's honesty? Any of you, anybody ever get home and you look in the mirror and you realize that a piece of the salad that you had at lunch is still in your teeth? Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah. And you're like, Corey Kirshner talked to me all afternoon, and he didn't say one thing about the asparagus sticking out of my mouth, you know. We want, yeah, so it's really good sometimes. Hey, you got something in your teeth. That's a helpful thing. Um, here, here's the objective statement. Next, next slide. Being a bold witness for God sometimes means speaking hard truth. Sometimes, sometimes you share the gospel with people and they're so open to it, it's not hard. Uh, this past Saturday, I got to share the gospel with a lady and she was ready for it. She was excited. Hey, Pastor, I want to learn what the Bible has to say. Hey, I was, pumped. I was pumped to give her the word of God. That was an amazing thing. Sometimes, though, you're talking to people and they don't want to hear it. Does that mean that you don't say something to them? No, we still have to be bold in our witness for God. Tonight, we're going to see a situation where Daniel has a, the, a, a situation where he may have been tempted to not speak bold, boldly, but in staying true as a witness, what, where is Daniel at? Let's go re- rehearse the context. Daniel is a, one of the Hebrew children who's living... In Babylon, he's been taken away from his homeland. He's been brought to this foreign land. We learned in the first week that they wanted to change his lifestyle. They wanted to change his dress. They wanted to change the way he ate. They wanted to impact his education. They wanted to transform him. And we say, and what we said in that first week is, we got to make sure that we don't compromise um, on the important things, even when we're in our, in our culture that's far from God. Brother Gentry talked to, to us about being prayerful and how, uh, and how that Daniel was known as a person of prayer when he's trying to stay true for God. Tonight we're going to say we're going to see that Daniel has this example of speaking hard truth, even when it would have been very difficult for him to do that. Now let's go to Daniel chapter five, like I've told you, and let's look at what is happening here. It says in verse one, Belshazzar. The king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. 
Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Let's just pause here. Uh, Belteshazzar uh, followed Nebuchadnezzar as the next ruler in Babylon. There was a there was a leader change, and Daniel now has uh, uh, this new king. And in part of this um, scenario, Belteshazzar throws a party, and it's not a very godly party. This is a very pagan kind of party. They are doing what people in parties in our day do. They're drinking. You guys see that in verse 1? They're drinking. Wine, thousands of people there. It says that, um, that, that part of what they did is they took the, the priestly utensils that were used in the temple that had been stolen and brought in, in, as, as part of the booty of war, brought to Babylon, and they're starting to party with the things that would have been very sacred to the, to the Jewish people. Verse 3, then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple. That's what we just read. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Somebody explain to me why that was a, what were they doing? Those utensils, you're exactly right. Doran said they were enjoying the spoils of what they had gotten, right? Those, what, what were the temple utensils made out of? Gold, right? So they took these utensils, these things that were used to worship the God of the Bible. You with me? They brought them to this drunken party, and now they're, as they're drinking, they're using this, these elements to worship what? False gods. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, iron, wood, and of stone. Is this a serious infraction? Is this an offensive thing both to the Jewish people and to Jehovah God? It absolutely is. Verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. You say, Pastor Ben, what, what did this look like? It looks like fingers. What was the uh, Adams family, the thing? I, um, I, was it called thing? Whatever it was, that's kind of what I imagined. It's just like fingers, maybe not the whole hand, but it starts writing verse 5, and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and I'm sure he goes, this is, I'm reading between the lines, what is in my drink? Right? There's fingers writing on the wall. Now, I don't think that this is a hallucination. That's not what's indicated here, because more than one person saw it and understood it. Verse 6, then the king's countenance was changed. What was his countenance before? He's partying, he's drinking, he's got all of his people there. It's, it's a big drunken party. 
and they are praising their gods, I think that part of what they're thinking is we're so much better than all these other gods. Who are the gods of the Jews? You know, they're, it's just part of what they're doing. And then all of a sudden there's this writing on the wall. And he goes from partying to, you ever, you ever um, have um, uh, sirens, lights, police lights in your rear view mirror? Has that ever happened to you? And what happens to your, to your heart? Goes to your stomach, right? It's like, oh, I think that's what's going on here. He's like, what in the world? Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So apparently there's writing on the wall that they he doesn't, it's in a different language, he doesn't understand it. What is it that he's saying? And so he calls in all the people that should know such thing and says, promotion available if you, if you, do, if you figure this out. So verse 8, then king all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known of the interpretation thereof. Then was king Belshazzar greatly troubled. And his countenance was changed in him. It got even worse. It went from like, okay, what does that mean? Oh, no, like now he's angry. And his lords were astonished. Verse 10, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There's a man in the kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, the fa- thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and, uh, and knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams and showing uh, of hard sentences and resolving of doubts, were found in the same, who is it? Daniel. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Now, what's interesting about this is that as they were talking here about three aspects of our witness, right? He's re- they, there's been this message that's come. Revelation from God has sh- been written on the wall. Okay, that's what we're about to see. Nobody can figure it out. All the wisest people in the kingdom can't figure it out. So they call Daniel. Why? Because Daniel had a reputation. Who's with me? Daniel had a reputation. There was someone that said, hey, this guy walks with, and she says, the God. is her theology right? Her theology is not right. What does she say? Yeah. Whom is this? In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? You know what that is? That's her trying to explain what his reputation is and her language. She doesn't. She believes that there's a bunch of gods. You know? Can I tell you? I, I'm listening to missionaries this week. I just came back from uh, a pastoral, uh, the, the Baptist Church Ministry Network National meeting. That was this week, and I was talking to missionaries. Um, 
You guys might remember Russ Turner. He came a few months ago or within the last year, and we took him on for support. And he was talking about um, all of the idol worship that goes on in the jungles. He goes into the jungles, and there's all kinds of idol worship that goes on in those jungles, and there's all kinds of supernatural, weird spiritual activity that happens in there, according to him, or at least things that people perceive that way. And so much of the, so much of, in the Bible, it talks about how that, um, that a, a lot of times what's behind the idol worship is demons, right? And so this is what they know, this is what they've been deceived by, but she knows that Daniel has been used by God before. Verse 13, so then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jerusalem? Here's the first thing I want to show you about being bold and speaking for the Lord. Number one, the walk behind your witness. The walk behind your witness. When you live the way God wants you to live, when you are growing the way God wants you to grow, when you get into the Word until the Word gets into you and begins to transform you, then when you have the opportunity to witness, you're going to be more bold in witnessing because your walk matches your witness. Because there's not some reason for you not to speak up because you're, you're already walking with the Lord and God's already indwelling you and empowering you. So here you have Daniel, and in verse, in verse thir- uh, 13, the reputation has gone from his queen to the king. He's saying, hey, are you this Daniel, everybody? Verse 14, I've even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Now, one of the things that's really important, I, I, I don't want to mishandle the Word of God. A narrative is there because it's teaching a story. It's telling, it's giving you history. This is what happened. This passage is, is, is giving us an account of something that actually happened. I believe that this is history. I believe that this actually happened because I believe the Bible is the Word of God and that's how it's teaching it. Does anybody here agree with me about that? Okay. But let's look at the principles and the application here, okay? The principle that I want to show you is that there is this walk behind Daniel's witness. He wasn't invited to the party. He wasn't out there drinking. He wasn't doing what he shouldn't have done. He was even in some senses kind of a part of the people that they were making fun of. As they're drinking out of the temple, are you? does that make sense? He's saying, aren't you the people that we brought captive, right? And here's what's interesting. When it came down to it, all the people that he thought of, that they respected in their culture, the astrologers, the idolaters, they didn't have any answers. And can I tell you, it's the same in our culture. There's a whole lot of people that say that they're offering answers, and at the end of the day, the answers don't work because they ain't true. It's not good grammar, but it's true, right? When it comes down to, okay, I need to know what's true, now they go get a man of Jehovah God, 
and they bring him in. Okay, let's keep going. Now the wise men, they couldn't do it. Verse 16, I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations, resolve doubts. Thou says can't read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. Um, scarlet actually um, read the other day about this scarlet. Um, there was a certain kind of um, snail worm that they would that they would crush the worm, which is really interesting. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But that, that's where they would get the color for the dye, right, that then they would make into robes, which made, you have to have a bunch of these snails. Uh, you don't grow snails, right? I mean, not, not like crops. You got to go find them. And so it was really expensive to dye like something like this, super expensive because the only way to get that is to have this really difficult process. So to give somebody a scarlet robe, that's like something that only royalty would have, right? Kind of the similar similar um, principle as with Joseph, who remembers Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? Like when you're surviving every day and that's how you do life is just give us this day our daily bread, you don't really have the, uh, the resources to think about style. Are you with me? We think about style. Some of you think more about it than others, right? I don't even get a chuckle from some of you. Come on, right? But my point is, this is an expensive thing. So he's saying, if you can figure this out, we'll give you scarlet. You'll give you gold. You'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. I love this. Verse 17. So you got, you got the politics going on. Uh, this is the king. There's political revolt. Then you have a party and you got the prophet. We've covered all of that. Now let's look at number two, not just the weight behind your witness. Now let's look at the words in your witness. Okay. Now we got to, how do we actually talk? L look at um, verse number 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give the re thy rewards to another Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. What was he saying? Keep the scarlet, keep the gold. I don't need a promotion. I'll just tell you what it says. Huh? He wants to give God the glory in it for sure. And then the other part of it is, I don't know, maybe this is part of it. How quickly to, well, we'll see. Go, go down to, now, now go to first. We'll just keep reading. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, language trembled and feared before him whom he, uh, whom he, he would he slew. What is he saying? Whom he would he slew. If he wanted to kill somebody, he did. Whom he would, keep, whom he, would he would keep alive. And whom he would he set up and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. What was that saying? When he thought he was the man, that's when he became the beast. And we know what happened there. 
And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God, here it is, what was the point of him going through all that? Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. What is he saying? The king who came before you had to learn a lesson. The lesson he had to learn was that he's not better than the one and only true God. It might be that he said, you don't have to promote me or give anything because you're not going to like what I have to say. Right? After this, I don't think I'm going to get any kind of promotion. Look at verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. What is he saying? This isn't a new story I'm telling you. You knew this, but yet you're being prideful. But you lifted up, verse 23, thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. What is he saying? You're praying, you're praying to false gods. You're praying to made-up gods. And whose, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified? Talk, oh, sorry. And the God in whose hands thy breath is. What is he saying? The God that's giving you life, the God that's sustaining your life, you're praising gods that don't even, you're praising gods that don't even exist with utensils that were used to worship the God who's holding the very breath that you breathe in you. You're prideful, you're arrogant. This is what you're doing. Then was the part of the hand, then was the part of the hand sent from him, and the writing was written. Here he has to give the king really bad news. Now probably what was true of Nebuchadnezzar was also true of Belteshazzar. What was true of Nebuchadnezzar before he was humbled? What did it say? Who he wanted to kill, he killed. Who he wanted to keep alive, he kept alive. That was part of Daniel's answer to him. He says, I, I think Belteshazzar, if he's in the same position, he could do the same thing. Who thinks maybe Daniel would have been tempted even a little bit to kind of sugarcoat what he said? Anybody think that could happen? Did he sugarcoat what he said? Not even a little bit. He just was plain. And I think we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But I think people need to know the truth. Are you with me? I think peop, we need to speak the truth in love. Are you with me? That's what needs to happen. So now we look not just at the words of our witness. Now let's look at the weight of your witness. The weight of our witness. Here's where he gets to it. Now he has the interpretation. Verse 25. And this is the writing that was written, meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsen. I may not have said that exactly right, but 
believe it. This is the interpretation, verse 26, of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. <laughs> then commanded Belshazzar, and I, they cl- what? this is amazing. What do they do? Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Pretty amazing. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Dave, uh, Daniel gave the interpretation. He told him straight. He says, this is what God has done. Meany, meany is a verb meaning numbered or appointed. It emphasizes a final and full count. He's saying, you have been numbered. Tekel is referred to weighing metal on a balance scale. So he's saying, you're supposed to weigh this much, but you don't weigh that much. You don't weigh that much, king. You're supposed to be substantive. You're not. And so because of that, you've been found wanting. This is, Eupharsin is the plural form of Perez, which means refers to something being broken apart and shared. It's being divided. What's, what's Daniel doing? He's getting the interpretation from God, but he's declaring what God has said. And uh, what's the result? What God said is what happened. Daniel's promoted, and Belteshazzar is slain. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Now, very similar word. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you guys ever heard that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We kind of have a similar message to tell people. You've been weighed and found wanting. The wages of sin is death. There was an attorney that spoke last night at our meeting. And... uh, He said, uh, how are you going to continue to do evangelism in the coming days? This is just what he said. I don't know if I agree with his evaluation totally. But this is what he said, and I don't know that he's totally wrong either. He said, there's a lot of people depending on live streaming, on getting stuff out there, social media. Um, And he said, guys, that's going away. Not that social media is going away. Not that podcasting is going away. Not that YouTube is going away. But if you speak the truth, even if you do it in love, his thing is eventually they're going to get all the haters and the bigots off of social media. And he's saying, wait a minute, I'm not a hater or a bigot. Do you believe there's only one way to God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? There's people that think that's hateful and bigoted. Do you believe that there's some things God calls sin? 
and that we don't get to compromise about what God calls sin, that whatever God calls sin is sin. Yeah. And our message has to be that whatever God says, we believe. And when God, if God says it, then we ought to believe it, and we ought to declare it to people. Which doctor do you want to go to? The doctor that finds the mask, and when you go say, what does this mask mean? He goes, I don't, I, it'll be fine. Right? Or do you want the doctor that's like, you've got a mask, and it's going to kill you. But here's what you have to do. Who wants the second doctor? I don't want the doctor that ignores and doesn't give me bad news because he's worried about how I'm going to react. I want the doctor who's going to tell me straight, give me the bad, do you agree with me? If that's true in the physical world, isn't that true in the spiritual realm? If I die physically, that's one thing. But if I die spiritually, that's a whole other thing. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sometimes, even with believers, it's hard. Go real quick. Galatians, I'm going to show you a couple things. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect, uh, neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if you neglect, neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, couple questions. What kind of sin is the kind of sin that makes us respond in this? Do you guys see the process in these verses first? Do you see a process here? If someone's overtaken in a fault, you go between you and him alone. That's the first step. Then the second step is you take two or three with you. Why do you go to step two? I would, I would say it, it, it did work. And why I say it does work is because sometimes we have sin. Here's my issue. I know I'm confusing you. No, I don't want to confuse you. There's not certain sins that, that are a part of what we, because it's this sin, we do this process. Are you with me? It's any sin. It's any sin. What's the issue? The issue is not what sin it is. The issue is having a heart that lacks repentance. That when someone holds the mirror of the word of God up to us, Right? That if there's something that's there, we say, you know what? I am going to submit to what God says, and I'm going to 
respond to it. Does that make sense? Now, there's also sometimes that when you have a relationship with somebody and it looks like they're doing wrong, you go talk to them and you say, hey, this is look, what looks like going on in your life. And you do it. The reason why you do it alone is because you might find out that what you perceived as sin wasn't sin at all. Does that make sense? Can that happen? Man, I'm really struggling because this person, it seems like that we're at odds. So I'm going to go talk to him. And the reason why it's so important to go between you and him alone is because if you start going to seven other people, it's called gossip. You're creating more problems. Then you go over to this other person, you find out, oh, even if they were wrong, you get it right. But now six other people are offended for you. You get it? The issue, though, isn't what sin it is. The issue is, do we repent of sin? And this isn't like day one, day two, day three. This is, there's a season of us like we're trying to deal with this and then we go on to two or three. If they don't hear it, then you take it to the church. But the point is, instead of everybody thinking about it and everybody talking about it, what's the loving thing to do? The loving thing to do is, I care about you, I love you. And the whole point of this is not to beat you over the head with what you did. The point of it is so that we would be restored, so that we could gain our brother or our sister. Another, another verse. Are you with me? Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Verse 1. Brethren. Why is, he using, why is he using the word brethren? Interesting, right? Who's writing? Who's writing? Paul, who is he writing to? The church at Galatia. He says, brethren, you know, if God is my father and Jesus is God's son and I'm a joint heir with Christ and he's my big brother and if you guys are sons and daughters of God, then you're my brothers and sisters. Are, are you with me? So he's talking to Christians. Brethren, if a person, if, let's see, let's see we're back to it. If a man be overtaken in a fault, does that sound like Matthew 18? If there's something that's wrong, overtaken means they're taken down. They've, they've done something. Their life is not working like it ought to. They're not right with God. They're broken in their relationships. Galatians 6.1 says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye who are Spiritual. Now, here's a question. How do you know someone's spiritual? Saved for sure. Good job, Matt. High five, Matt. Nice. Can I submit that Galatians 5, verse 22, just four or five verses beforehand, might indicate who's spiritual? But the fruit of the Spirit is... What's the first one? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Wait, who's not spiritual? People who are still in the flesh. Who's in the flesh? Can I submit to you that you go back to verse 16? Look at Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. 
Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderings, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Okay? So when he says in Galatians 6, 1, ye who are spiritual, he's already defined who's spiritual, right? If someone's overtaken in a fault, what kind of fault? The fault's described as the lust of the flesh. Anybody here ever do the lust of the flesh? Okay, everyone that's not raising their hand is in the flesh right now. We all do it. We all do it. After you're saved, yes. Yes. Maybe that's where I came up with the dessert idea. I don't know. Are you with me? He says, if someone's overtaken in a fault and they're not functioning the way they ought to, do the awkward thing. Do, speak the truth boldly, but do it as a spiritual person. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. I'm not coming over and beating you over the head with the Bible. I'm coming with love. Restore such a one. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when Jesus is calling the disciples? He says, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. If you read Matthew chapter 4, he talks to two guys, Peter and Andrew, and it says that they were casting their nets for fishing. It says that he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The next two verses he says um, that John and... um, James and John, the sons of thunder, that they were mending their nets. The word for mending is the same exact word in the Greek as the word restore in Galatians 6. You can't catch fish with broken nets. If the nets don't work, you're not going to catch many fish. And the job of loving people who are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit is to have some awkward conversations and to love someone enough to go, it seems like you're hurting. It seems like you're not functioning. It seems like something's not going right. And I care about you. And I love you. And I may be wrong. Why? How do you do it? In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So this isn't like, let me tell you how I'm so much better than you at this. No. It's, man, I've struggled with this too. Or maybe I don't struggle with this, but I struggle with this, 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 and this. But I'm here to help. And I'm here to love you, not to destroy you. Does that make sense? One more spot. Ephesians chapter 4. You guys have your Bibles? Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter 4. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The word for perfecting there is katotismos. The, the word for mending and the word for restore are katotizo. So these are from the same word. It's just a different form of, of the same word. The word for perfecting is maturing, equipping, Restoring, growing, 
furnishing. Does that sound like they're helping? It sounds like they're, are you with me? He gave leaders in the church. He gave us the word of God. And talking about apostles and prophets. The Bible, the leader takes the revelation of God. I don't have any special revelation from God that you don't have. I got the same Bible you do. Are you with me? But they take that word and they use the word, verse 11, for the perfecting of the saints who does the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Is the work of the ministry just the pastor? It's for the saints. Who are the saints? Saints mean sanctified one. If you're saved, you've been sanctified. If you're saved, you've been set apart. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. Are you with me? You're not. If you're saved, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're a saint. And he says, the the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints for the work of ministry, for the everfighting of the body of Christ, that we henceforth, what does it say? Until uh, we all come to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature, where am I at? I'm just quoting. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cutting craftiness, where, whereby they lay, lie in wait to deceive. One of the marks of an immature believer is that they're blown about. They don't know what the Bible says. There's false teachers that are giving them lies and they're going back and forth and believing this person and that person. And it's like, you don't need to be gullible. You need to be grown up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, you don't need to be like that. The perfecting is for, verse 15, speaking the truth in, okay, I, I messed you up here. Verse 15, what does mature ministry look like? What is a spiritually mature, someone who's perfected for the work of the ministry, what does that look like? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things who is the head, even Christ. The point of the sermon is this, that God wants us to speak the truth boldly. Who agrees? You get the theme? You get the theme of the sermon. Okay. If we're going to be, if we're going to stay true to God in a world that's far from him, we got to know what he said. And then we've got to have the Holy Spirit filling us and equipping us as we're in the word of God and know it. And he's changing us from the inside out. As that happens, there's going to be times with lost people where we're going to have to speak truth to lost people that they don't want to hear. If you can't get them lost, then they can't get saved. If they don't believe they're sinners, what do I need to be saved from? Are you guys with me? So if you're going to be used by God and be effective for God and stay true to God as someone who's been saved, you have to be able to look at a person that doesn't know Jesus and say, God loves you, but you're his enemy because of how God loves his enemies. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You have been weighed and found wanting, right? So you have to do that with lost people. 
But for people who are saved, all of us, if you don't raise your hand on this, you don't get it. Do any of us need to ever be confronted about our sin? We all do. One of the dangers of being pastor, can I just tell you, is that not, not, people don't always want to confront their pastor when he's done something wrong. And I can tell you, you guys already know this, I mess down. I mess up. I don't want to get too personal, but there's been times in the last week that I had to, with tears, ask my wife to forgive me. Because I'm a dude. I'm a husband. We mess up. I messed up at church. Jack, you sinned in the church? Yeah. Because I'm here all the time. It's bound to happen, right? And my wife confronted me about it in a godly way with a spirit of meekness. I know she loves me, right? And I had to, I had to, I need that. You need that. And if we're going to be a healthy church, we can't crucify each other when we mess up. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth with a spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted because we mess up. Does that make sense? And the whole goal is not to make them feel bad. The goal is what? Restoration. The goal is you're not functioning the way that God's wanting you to function. God called you to be a fisher of men, and you got a broken net. Let's help mend the net to bring you back to full functionality so that you can be the parent and the husband and the wife and the Christian and the employee, the Sunday school teacher, the Awana leader, the D group leader, that you need to be because this world is dying and going to hell. And we need every Christian we can functioning for the Lord because we have a world that is not staying true to God. And there needs to be some people that have a weight to their witness that are willing to look people in the eye and say, I love you. I care about you. But this is what the truth of God's word says. And I can't be the doctor that ignores your tumor. I can't be the person that ignores what's going to kill you. Do you get it? We got to speak the truth and we got to speak in love. God, help us to do that. Help us 